and welcome friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be listening today to Glocal News and Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and as usual, we get to talk to people that are building a more humane world from the inside out. This interview with Jack Williams was recorded October 23rd, 2019, in the old KOPN studios in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, I'm in the studio today with my wife, Marsha. Good morning, Marsha. Good morning. And on the phone line, a good friend of ours, Jack Williams from down in Arkansas. You there, Jack? I am. Hello, Dick. Hello, Marsha. Hello. <laughs> good morning. Well, uh, it seems like uh, we just saw you yesterday, which is... It just like... seems like just yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it was just Sunday, wasn't it? Yes, it was a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Yes, uh, <clears throat> that's a, a real privilege for us to uh, be able to uh, go down to Wattle Hollow, Arkansas, and, and join a, oh, not quite two dozen singer-songwriters where you and uh, Kelly and Donna, who are still on the Hill team, uh, will help us with our singing-songwriting, mostly. Well, tell us about it. What What is that stuff that uh, you think you're doing down there? <laughs> well, that stuff is the, the stuff of my life. <laughs> is um, what, we, what we do is not exactly uh, a songwriting workshop, even though the song is at the basis of what we talk about, um, we can we call it a creativity workshop. We, we deal with ideas. A lot of workshops and retreats, music uh, groups, they get together. Very often folk focus on something a little more narrow, uh, like the writing of a song, or the uh, how to sing, or how to finger pick or how to do this or that, and um, I find that very few of them deal with the issue of where do ideas come from, and how do you how do you open doors to find new ones mm -hmm. and walk down new paths, and that is what we hope to do at Waddle Hollow. That's our basic commitment to the people that come there to try to help them do that. And you do this uh, in the spring and fall, and gee, I think didn't you have a what was it, a 10-year anniversary recently? Oh, yeah. Well, we originally thought we were going to do this once. <laughs> <laughs> and um, fat chance. It just it worked out so well. It felt so good, and people seemed to benefit from it, as well as uh, Kelly Donna and Judy and me. Um, we all benefited from it. And so we decided to just keep going for as long as it would sustain itself. Mm -hmm. And now we're up to, um, in May, we'll come up on our 29th session and we had our 10th anniversary and we did a couple of sessions mm -hmm. to celebrate that landmark but uh, it's been a wonderful run um, surprising to us but, but very rewarding did you uh, uh did you all start that after you moved to the Fayetteville area yes yes because um, you're you're from South Carolina right uh originally originally Originally, um, I've only I've, I have a checkered past as far as where I've lived, <laughs> and that's that's due in most part to the fact that I'm an army brat. 
Okay. And so I spent my first 12 years in 17 schools. Oh, my and, goodness. Um, in three countries. And um, before I was out of high school, my career began, and I was already traveling to play. And so it's been nonstop. And uh, South Carolina is my home base and is actually the source of a lot of the songs that I write because uh, my childhood pretty much stuck with me. And mm-hmm. I am a South Carolinian at heart, even though I do live in the Ozarks now. Uh-huh. Um, but yes. That's, uh, uh, is High Cotton uh, from uh, your growing up areas, that song? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, a song I'm very happy with. It's... Um, song about change in the deep south mm-hmm. change that has come whether we want it or not <laughs> right and um yeah i have a lot of songs that are that are are at least rooted in the deep south and in south carolina and mm-hmm. my family and the land right um We'll play one of your songs a little bit later to get uh and and I don't know if you by the way were able to hear. Uh, we had a little free time before our show, and uh, we got to listen to uh, uh, the first track or so on your uh, Winterline CD, the one about uh, making you a man. Uh, oh, man the man in me. The man in me. That was it. Uh, traveling through Missouri. It was so appropriate. <laughs> right. Well, there, that, was, um, that was an important phase of my career. It was in the 1970s when I lived... Well, I lived in two places. I lived in Hilton Head, South Carolina, uh, where I based myself, and in Frisco, Colorado, up near Breckenridge. Uh-huh. And I would travel back and forth. And Missouri was square in the middle. <laughs> and that's a long story. <laughs> well, you know, there there are people here in Columbia that uh, and lupus and surrounding areas that uh, remember those days. And, yes, they uh, do. Doug I remember Ely, them very well. I know Doug Ely's tuning in, and, and I can't list the, all the names of folks that are probably paying attention to this conversation this morning, but um, feel free to reminisce just a little bit if you if you care to. And, oh, uh, I, could, I could reminisce all morning. <laughs> I could blow your show to pieces with, uh, with reminiscences from Columbia. Oh, good, good. Well, yeah. we, we won't blow the whole show, but, you know, feel free to... Yeah, well, I I came through, um, and and the nearest I can remember was April 1971. Mm -hmm. I had been on my first walkabout, I'll call it, in my first Dodge van, and I was headed from Hilton Head, South Carolina, to points unknown in the west. (laughs) And after rambling across the country and all up, up and down the west coast several times, we headed back towards South Carolina, and we pulled into Columbia, Missouri, mm-hmm. um, on an April day. And um, the pet fellow that I was traveling with, who was also a singer-songwriter, whose name was John Brannon, maybe some of the folks who remember me coming through will remember him. Mm-hmm. And um, we were just... <laughs> It's hard to say what we were doing, but we were traveling with instruments, and we would find places to play, and occasionally we'd get paid for it, which kept us rolling, and uh, we were pretty much vagabonds, mm-hmm. and we came, we played at the, um, uh, what was it called, Nasties, 
Okay. A place called Nasty's mm-hmm. by the campus mm-hmm. has become the Gray Day, and it became several other different things. And some folks there will remember that. And um, we pulled into town. We pulled into town the first time, and it just felt so good. And it was um, spring, and the college was open, and people were walking around, and it just looked so pleasant. We drove around the block several times, and we decided, let's see if we can find us a drummer to play some music with for fun. Mm Mm-hmm. So we pulled over on the side. We were up on Broadway, and um, and I said, uh, "You tell me where um, where we can uh, maybe find some, you know because a lot of street people mm-hmm. were out and about." And then we asked one of them, "Say, you know, tell us where we find somebody that plays drums." And the person said, "Well, go down here. The the Peace Park is having the I think it was the Renaissance Fair." Oh wow! They're <laughs> uh, having the Renaissance Fair. Uh-huh. Just go down here down this road and ask for Bummer. Oh my goodness! And and so I said, "Oh, bummer, really?" Yeah, okay. And we drove down the street, and we came uh, across several people. Uh, there were some were white, some were black, mm-hmm. and we saw this black gentleman in a dashiki with beads, <laughs> and we thought this is the guy to ask. <laughs> and we came up to him and says, um, "Could you tell us where to find Bummer? We're looking for somebody that might want to just play some drums." And he just threw his arms up to the heaven and laughed out loud and he says i'm him <laughs> and um oh that's and that, beautiful. that led to a, a very long friendship and a uh, musical partnership in the mid-70s when when a uh, bummer traveled with my bass player and i uh-huh. but that was uh that was my first introduction to columbia and mm-hmm. boone county and i met people there some of the some of my favorite people um, that I've ever met in the world, mm. I met on that very day mm. at the Peace Park wow. in Columbia. Yeah. Um, Lee Ruth, yeah. the late Steve Hutchison. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just uh, created a love affair for me with mm-hmm. the city and the area. And so every time I came back down I-70, mm-hmm. going east or west, I always stayed in town and um, played music, Gladstone Manufacturing Company, 18th Amendment, mm-hmm. wherever else I could possibly play. And um, and after years, I eventually met Annie Rue, ah, yes. a mm-hmm. former resident there who now lives in Denver, mm-hmm. a violinist. And she and I teamed up to play with a, with a bass player. And then we ended up having a five-piece band, and we traveled or out to Colorado and back. And her mother, Mary Norman, now um, passed away, sad to say. And I became very, very dear friends. And we did some projects together. She was um, working with the University Extension Service. Mm -hmm. And one of the projects was the story of George Caleb Bingham. Oh yeah, the uh, artist, the yeah. artist, mm-hmm. uh, painter who painted that territory and and started out in Washington and ended up painting the um, uh, wonderful paintings of, mm-hmm. of your area there. Right. And we and uh, he lived I wrote in Columbia the music. For we had a time. cinematographer and mm-hmm. and Mary Norman was the was the uh, architectural historian and she wrote the dialogue and and we uh, PBS bought the movie 
And we stayed friends until her passing a few years ago. Hmm. And my connection with uh, Columbia is very strong and strong and solid. I almost almost moved there. In fact, I, it, it, was, it was funny that when I would come through town, of course, I would head straight to Ernie's. <laughs> yep. I'd go down to Ernie's, and everybody would be there, and they'd say, Hi, Jack, how are you doing? And, you know, sometimes people don't notice that you've been gone. Right. They just know that you're there. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is in when people live in one place. They say, well, there's so-and-so. Mm-hmm. He just lives right down the street. And people would say, um, Jack, are you... You still living over on Anthony Street? <laughs> I say no. I, I've never lived here, <laughs> but I would stay for so long, and uh, I involved myself in that community so much, and they were so welcoming to me. And I always felt as though it were a bit of a home. Wonderful. Did you uh, ever uh, do anything on KOPN, uh, the community radio station, as you recall? <laughs> well, funny you ask that. There was a time in the seventies. <clears throat> I believe it, yeah, it was in the 70s, where Lee Ruth uh-huh. used to be the um, late-night DJ. And still is. <laughs> right. <laughs> 3 a.m. <laughs> on Wednesday. And so if, if I were to start in South Carolina at a certain time mm-hmm. and drive the 16 hours straight to Columbia, Missouri, I often got there in the middle of the night. Ah. And um, I would head straight to KOPN. Oh, boy. Because I because I'd been listening on the way in, and uh, I would just go up back stairs and walk in, and, and Lee Ruth in his very calm, unflappable manner <laughs> would just say, "Well, Jack Williams has just walked in the door. I guess we'll have to play some music." <laughs> and we'd sit up there, and we might be joined by Jerome Wheeler, the late right Jerome Wheeler, yes. and uh, any number of. Of musicians who happened to be wide awake at three o'clock in the morning, right? And we would just play music and tell stories, lies, and sing songs. Mm-hmm. Beautiful! <laughs> what a story! I love it. Oh, well, and you've been uh, back many times. Uh, I don't know. We've seen you twice at the local library here, the uh, Daniel right, right. Library. You've uh, lupus. Yeah, we met you over in Lupus. Uh, weren't you one of the first uh, to be uh, with Doug Ely over there on his uh, general store? I might have store? been the first concert he put on. Yeah. I'm not sure of it, but there's a, there are stories there, and Doug would have to mm-hmm. enlighten you on that. But I'm, I know I was pretty early on, if not the first. I think, I think he has uh, touted you as the first. <laughs> well, I... I accept that honor. (laughs) (laughs) And you've been back uh, many times. Actually, uh, a a good friend of ours had heard you at Lupus before we even knew who Jack Williams was and came back uh, raving about this guy that would uh, tell these great stories and then sing these amazing songs. And she bought a CD uh, across the winter line. And and, uh, I... I think I probably uh, cheated and made a copy of it so I could play it in my classroom. So you you had a <laughs> you had a lot of people hearing some of your music that you never actually got to see physically. And then well, finally I, I uh, found that out over the years that happens. <laughs> Marsha and I then uh, got to go to Lupus and uh, hear you live. 
Yeah, that might have been around, uh, I think it was April, and it might have been 2013. And we heard about your songwriting uh, thing that night. I did. And uh, About Waddle Hollow? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And I said, Dick, we've got to go. Well, it was too late to get in for May, so we got ourselves in in October, and I think that was our first one, our first waddle. And we, you folks have become staples in our in our um, little community, our growing community there. I think we've only missed three waddles since then, and you know, two times. Oh yeah, two times. Yeah, a graduation that Dick had to attend in May, and then. A play that he was in, and then a trip that we were taking last May. So I think I think we missed three since then. But I I certainly uh, I know when I pull down that drive, it uh, it's home. There is such yeah, yeah. a feeling of homeness that I I just I just start my body just goes through wonderful changes that. I can't describe. <laughs> I feel the same thing, and I hear, I hear that from other people who go down there, um, down into the hollow. It's a, I, I, I keep imagining that it must be a, a rather startling, maybe even frightening experience for a first-time attendee at our retreat hmm. to uh, go down that. You know, it's probably three quarters of a mile long. And the road, you know, a narrow <laughs> on the edge road. of some yeah. steep, <laughs> steep spots, and the the trees enclose the road, and finally it opens out to the the little compound down there where these beautiful buildings that were were built by our host uh, Joy Fox, mm-hmm. and um, it is a very welcoming place, and she has made it that way, and we're so grateful that she lets us use it. Mm-hmm. For um for our retreats, she has other retreats down there as well. But but we get to come there twice a year, and she's so welcoming, mm-hmm. and 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 she takes part. Yes, oh yeah, she's a <laughs> in every session. She's there and and is a vital part of it. Yeah, she what? likes to dance. <laughs> I love that. Oh, <laughs> she loves to dance. Well, it's uh. It's been a uh, a long journey for you from, uh, wasn't it a ukulele that your mom or yes, dad gave you? And my mother let me let me uh, play her Arthur Godfrey ukulele when I was four, <laughs> and um, I had had not played it, but she, I had watched her play and I had figured out how to play Little Brown Jug, and shocked her. Um, I started to say terribly, but I think it was pleasurably hmm. when I when she handed it to me and I played Little Brown Jug, and she probably knew at that moment that this boy is going to be a musician. Wow, wonderful! Yeah, and um, I don't know how much uh, you'd care to share how uh, your musical journey is certainly unique. I think. Uh, from many others because of both your traveling, but uh, you picking up the trumpet and then uh, uh, guitar, and then you you. I think didn't you have a go to school for? Oh, I did music. Uh, I did University of Georgia for nine long years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, 
No, it, it's been an, it's been an incredible journey, and I feel lucky when I see what young people today have as their influences, um, because back then, variety was my influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I had classical music playing in the house, and I didn't reject that mm-hmm. because rock and roll hadn't been invented yet. Mm-hmm. Um, rock and roll was one of those things that tended to to make people who were fans of it uh, poo-poo every other kind of music there was. Jazz was worthless. Classical was completely senseless. <laughs> and um, I just grew up loving classical music and jazz, which I eventually played on the trumpet. And um, I didn't really get immersed in the folk scene because I watched the folk scene come and go as a young man, but didn't really discover it until the mid-90s to realize that it was still going. Hmm. I was living, I was mostly touring out of the South and across to the West, and I was playing in bars back at that time, playing guitar, and had no clue that people were writing songs, original songs, and performing them and getting paid for it. <laughs> and had, had no idea. So I went from that ukulele to playing the piano and then picked up the trumpet in the ninth grade, I guess, mm-hmm. and played in uh, a group, played in some jazz groups, and became in the University of Georgia, where I attended in 1961 to 70. Mm-hmm. I was uh, I did study music composition, mm-hmm. and um, I was a terrible student. Thus, the nine years, <laughs> and uh, I, I did go up to the master's level and managed to squeak by. And uh, I was a composer, but I also, while I was at the university, was able to indulge all of my tastes for. Um, different kinds of music. So I played in a big band. I was a trumpet player in the in the big band playing the um, jazz type things. And I arranged for them. I learned to, I was, I was a writer and I was arranging. Mm-hmm. Or I would write for chorus or orchestra or chamber group. And I was uh, all at the same time. I had my own bands. Wow. And this was an R&B era for us. Okay. We were very much enamored with the R&B radio music, and um, we would play that, and it turned out that I got this great job of being a hired gun, electric guitar player, Ooh. and and so R&B and blues artists like the Drifters or the Coasters, the Platters, or Big Joe Turner might would come through the University of Georgia system, and they needed a band, and somehow or other, I got to get the word out that I could put a band together to back people. Ooh, great. Wow. Oh, yeah. What an opportunity. So I got to play with the Shirelles and um, you know, Jerry Butler and, and Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. And it was, um, it was a wonderful experience. And oh. it was really interesting due to the fact that this was the 1960s, mm-hmm. 61 to 70, and I was very often the only white musician in the band <laughs> traveling through Georgia and Mississippi, Alabama, North Carolina. And it, I have to say it was um, frightening at times, yeah. but always educational and interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to taste the, the, the civil rights 
issues of the day firsthand from the station wagon going through Split Silk, Georgia. Mm. It was a was an incredible experience, and I continued after college. Uh, when college was finished, I hit the road. That's when I ran into Columbia, Missouri, uh-huh. in '71, and and you were playing, playing rhythm and blues in in Columbia. Was that the genre or? What? No, um, no. You see, at, at the University of Georgia, um, that rhythm and blues thing eventually gave way to Steppenwolf ah, and Donovan, sure, mm-hmm. and Bob Dylan and the band. Okay. And by the time I left, I had a taste. Well, see, that's the whole thing. Variety has been has been the key mm-hmm. <laughs> to me mm-hmm. because I could play both Smokey Robinson and Van Morrison. <laughs> right, and I would enjoyed all of this, and and that and that affected the different types of music that I was able to play, mm-hmm. and it was very exciting because I I didn't just say well this is what I do, no I I liked doing all of it, I played lute in a Renaissance ensemble in college, and was was writing for strings, percussion, brass, and and at the same time playing rock and roll or <laughs> R&B. Yeah. And so uh, I had a series of bands over the years that worked very well. Um, I had two particular bands, one in the 60s and one in the 80s. It was a very long, long-lived, um, they were long-lived groups. Mm-hmm. And when they broke up, I had the taste of what it was like to lose the chemistry Mm. of a great ensemble that had developed the chemistry. It was kind of like when the Beatles lost McCartney. No matter what they decided to do to, to continue on, mm-hmm. other than go solo, was, was going to be acceptable. There would be no more Beatles. Right. right. And I learned that there would be no more Fools in Love, which was our band in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I learned that there would be no more Leaves of Grass, which it was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And so by 1988, I had determined that um, I had started to have a taste for playing places where people actually listened, and you also got paid. As opposed to a bar. <laughs> as opposed to bars yeah. and restaurants and parties, mm-hmm. weddings, whatever. Yeah. And so um, I made the break somewhere in the early 90s, and I've never been back. <laughs> well, <laughs> Your Fools Band, some of those members met in Edisto last year, right? Or at the um, Edisto River? Uh, it w- uh, not the Fools Band. Oh, okay. The Fools and Love Band. Uh, we actually had one time where three out of four of them were present. I don't know if you were there. That's been many years back. No. I was there last year in July, and uh, Steve Klink was there. Oh, yes. He was, he was a fool. <laughs> okay. So... So what, I I had a misunderstanding then, so that was not the fools in love that you were doing that night? Um, no, Steve was just one member of it. Um, I don't know what I, which night you're referring to. Saturday but night. Could, because I had players who have played with me off and on over the years. My bass player, oh, okay. Carrie Taylor. And his wife Susan, who played the banjo, and Danny, who played the mandolin, they were all musicians that who accompanied me, or we played together, or as a group, in the '90s 
or 2000s, I would, I would get them together and we would play for fun. Basically, I had a solo career. Mm-hmm. But when I had a chance to stay in one place, I would often um, have them join me. Mm-hmm. So you heard them. Okay. Great. And so there were, there were other people down there at the Edisto River where we had our almost annual gathering. <laughs> and uh, the, the bass player, Wayne, the bass singer, um, the gentleman who married Judy and me down there in 2006, was my bass player in 1960. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, way before Whoa. what we're talking about yeah. here. Yeah. That was back in my first real band. And um, so so the gatherings that we've had, I like staying in touch with these folks. They were um, essential to my growth personally and musically. And I love being able to see them occasionally. And... We only bemoan the fact that we don't all live in the same place and can't hang out together all the time. <laughs> but the second best thing is to be somebody who travels the country almost weekly mm-hmm. every year. And mm-hmm. I get to see these folks, and I get to spend time with them. And um, <clears throat> it's an ongoing thing, and I, I don't see an end to it anytime soon. And welcome back to Glocal News and Social Artistry. I'm Dick Dalton, your host. I'm in the studio with my wife, Marcia, and on the line is Jack Williams from little... Are you a little bit south of Fayetteville, Jack? A little bit. Maybe 25 minutes out of town, West Fork, Arkansas. West Fork. All right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we haven't been to your little spread yet, but uh, it sounds like a place where you get to get your hands dirty sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, yes. And so we have... We have eight acres up here, and, and we out in the country. And uh, I say we're in West Fork, but we're really 10 miles away from this town. Uh-huh. So we're out on the periphery of it. And, and this, have, this, is, um, this is our little sanctuary when we come back from the road. And you have a really good pair of binoculars for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife and I both are, are um, avid birders. Uh-huh. And... Uh, we travel, sometimes we travel just for the sake of finding the birds. Like uh-huh. At the end of April, we go out to Arizona with our friends Kelly and Donna from Still on the Hill. Mm-hmm. We go out there and um, watch birds at the uh, Verity Valley Birding and Nature Festival in Cottonwood, Arizona. Oh my. And sometimes we make, make long trips just to um, see different flora and fauna in uh, wonderful parts of the country. That's the advantage of being a touring musician and booking yourself. You can go where you want. <laughs> that is good. And uh, and you have a sidekick, uh, Judy, that is pretty good at uh, uh, doing the arranging of certain things. Oh, yeah. She's, um, she's the powerhouse behind the workings of the Waddle Hollow creativity retreat <clears throat> right she does um she keeps track of all the people who want to come she sends out all the announcements and uh and just she does all, i don't know what else she does she just does it so well i just i don't have to worry about it i just have to worry about what i'm gonna talk to you folks about when you come oh well <clears throat> it, it's uh it always works out whatever whatever it always the, works uh, the message is it, it it's, it's always good I said we would play uh, uh, one of your songs from Across the Winter Line, and the one that I'd like to play is uh, 
the old buck dancers gone? Yes. If you were playing that out on the road, could you set that up for us? Uh, sure. And then uh, Dennis, the engineer, will, will play a, a minute or two of it and, and uh, <clears throat> get a feel for it. Well, the buck dancer, <clears throat> buck dancing is what is now known as clogging. Oh, okay. There were reasons for the name to change, uh, which I'm not sure the story that I've heard is correct. But the fact is that James Dickey was a Southern American poet born in Georgia, Mm -hmm. spent his last years teaching poetry at the University of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people know him best as the author of uh, Deliverance. Oh. And he even performed. He was an actor. He was the sheriff in that frightening movie. Oh, wow. And um, James Dickey lived in Columbia. He loved guitar players. He liked to go out and listen to music. I got to meet him. And earlier in his career, well, he was a poet first. He only wrote three novels. He'd become most famous for one of those novels. But before that, in in the poetry world, he wrote a set of poems, a collection called The Buck Dancer's Choice. And that won the National Book Award for that year Mm -hmm. and led to his becoming the first de facto poet laureate of the United States. Oh. He he was that, in fact, but it was was called something else. I don't think they called it poet laureate at the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. They do now. Mm -hmm. And um, he was a strange man with crazy ways (laughs) and... uh, um, a wonderful speaker when he'd read his poems, and uh, his ego was as big as the universe. <laughs> and uh, but his work was delightful, and I had often read it and loved it. And the day he he it was reported that he had passed away, um, I was sitting in a Southern food restaurant in Columbia, South Carolina, at a table for one, and. Uh, I read in the state paper that James Dickey had passed away, hmm. and I filled up, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 napkins with uh, the idea for a song and created this song, mm-hmm. which um, was meant to not to imitate his poetry. It's my own poetry. Mm-hmm. It's not telling his story. Mm-hmm. It's um, just a stream of consciousness uh, expostulation of how I felt about James Dickey and what he was to me. Mm. And I must have hit, said something correctly because after meeting his son, Chris Dickey, who is a journalist nowadays with the Daily Beast and used to be with Newsweek, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> he told me after he heard the song, he wrote me and he said, Well, you nailed my old man. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And so a songwriter, I guess. Well, this songwriter, at least, would love to hear something like that uh, more than anything else, Uh, to know that you got something right. Sure. And so uh, this is the song that uh, speaks about the South and speaks about his his poetry and images that are conjured up Mm -hmm. by remembrances of James Dickey. Mm -hmm. And the chorus has the word Joe Cassie in it, which I always explain to people that is not a person. There's no Joe Cassie. It's the name of a, a lake in the uh, 
just the corner of the Appalachians that touches northwestern South Carolina is Lake Joe Cassie. Oh. And um, that's about all I ever say to set it up. Mm-hmm. There's much more to say about James Dickey, but I'd just rather play the song. This is The Old Buck Dancers Gone by Jack Williams. Seaboard rail line, Charleston bound. Sashay skyward one last round. Herons and bitters with their heads hung down. The old bug dancer's gone. The fiddler squeals in the cotton gin. Strikes a match, he invites us in. Guitars, banjos, and mandolins play the old bug dancer song. Sweet Joe Cassie, make my bed. My dreams are loose and the moon is red. With all this music left unsaid, the old bug dancer's Scan the sky for one last ride I'll borrow one from him this time The old bug dance is gone I'm sitting here with my goosebumps, going pretty good. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a sweet sound! I, I uh, well, I, I just you know I think people hear that song and um, I'm, I'm I, th- I think they might get the idea that I write music that's a little bit along the country or traditional, and yet that's not the case. That's um, just that one song has a particular flavor to it that I thought was appropriate mm-hmm. for a song about James Dickey, mm-hmm. and therefore I, I made it be kind of a cross between bluegrass and Mozart. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. Which uh, but, I, my background wouldn't know, the Mozart or the bluegrass? It... Well, the bluegrass comes from the sound of the mandolin, banjo, fiddle, oh, okay. and the feel of it. Okay. Just, uh, it's not, it's definitely not what you would call bluegrass, because mm-hmm. it's a... Uh, <clears throat> a little too too complex, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, the Mozart part has to do with the melody that is played on the guitar. Oh. And there's a little turn of a phrase that happens a couple times every time I play the guitar. Mm-hmm. And when I sing, da 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 I do a little thing that just reminds me of the Mozart era. Hmm. And... Um, that's why I'm so grateful for the variety of my background that I can right. I have all this stuff floating around in my head and it can cross genres whenever it chooses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, we've been uh speaking of uh crossing genres <laughs> you you do this wonderful thing uh, over at Lupus and and probably uh 
I think you did it down at a house concert we were at south of Rolla, uh, where you uh, shift into your right brain, whatever you call it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying you find trying to find the words to describe this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, it's a stream of consciousness. Yes, yes. And uh, it, you're so. It, the guitar is just an extension of your entire being, and so you just fluidly move from one song to another, one riff to another, and they're all seamlessly woven together it's it's amazing you used well, that, to have that uh, happened you used Excuse to me? have that on your website didn't you one of those stream of consciousness i have one version of it one version <laughs> and we we saw that in lupus a couple of times too mm-hmm. yeah it is um it it began there's a song at the end of one of my earliest albums the song dog album song called that's all i love my music and my woman that's all and um one night I was playing that, and it's a short, light-hearted thing. And there are places between the verses for a little fun guitar activity. And one night, it had to have been a full moon, I'm sure, <laughs> um, I, the, something happened, and I think I snapped. And uh, memories, musical memories, started coming back hmm. from... All of a sudden, I started playing things like Caravan from Duke Ellington to, um, I forget who it is, Get Your Motor Run, and da-da-da-da-da. I, I can't remember, but I, I went back and forth from jazz to R&B to folk to country to rock to blues, mm. and I just got started, and I, I would play a snippet of one thing, and another thought would cross my mind, and darn if I didn't just start playing it, mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. I, I had never done it before, and, and and it was so much fun, and people were just baffled. Yeah. <laughs> they seemed pleased, mm-hmm. and um, it's it became a regular feature of most of the most of the last fifteen, twenty, thirty minutes of my concerts, hmm. and um, it's a it's kind of scary because you go into it without any concept. Of, how you're going to get started, mm-hmm. what you're going to do in the middle, and how in the world you're going to get out of it. <laughs> well, tell me, how much like jazz is that? I mean, presumably... It's, it's, the only relation that has with jazz is its improvisatory mm-hmm. uh, context. Okay. That's all. Okay. Um, I do play some jazz songs occasionally in it, pieces that I've... Okay. Mm-hmm. Played over the years, you know, mm-hmm. tenderly, bye bye blackbird, um, uh, lullaby of birdland, George Shearing. These things appear, and if I don't think of them, I don't play them. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, it, it's a, it's a, it isn't jazz because the music is not jazz. But right. occasionally I will play a jazz piece, and um, but it does have that in common with jazz in that it's a lot, a lot of jazz is the, most. Jazz is a stream of consciousness improvisatory thing. That, that's kind where of you what take I was a, getting at. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You take a simple melody or a simple idea, and then everybody creates. Well, in the classical world, they'd call it theme and variations. Mm-hmm. You, if we were playing "My Funny Valentine," we'd play the melody so we knew where we are, and then each person would invent his or her own 
version of that melody um, hmm. and go as far afield as they like. And that's pretty much what I do in my mind with that. I had no idea that was going to happen the first time, <laughs> and I'm so glad it did. Yeah, yeah. But um, I found out, though, that there was a problem with doing something like that, that its entertainment value is high, and people love it. And so if I ever choose not to do it, I usually get scolded. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, that's, that's the way the music world is. If you do something that works, um, people want it done again. And fortunately, it's different every time. That's the saving grace for me. If it was the same thing every time, I would be so bored as I would drop it completely. Sure. Yeah. But, it, but it's an exciting thing. And uh, it does prevent me, though, from spending 20 minutes of my concert of playing my other original <laughs> songs. But, uh, you know, there's good and bad and everything. Well, speaking of other original songs, you you have, I don't know how many CDs out now, and that doesn't 11? even capture all your songs by any means. Because you have, don't you have 500 songs or more? No, I have three times that amount. Oh, wow. Okay. I, but, but most of them... Um, People say, well, why, don't, why aren't you playing different songs every night? Well, it's because the vast, vast majority of that 1,500 or whatever number, it's an estimate mm -hmm. based on the paper bags I have up in the file <laughs> boxes up there full of scraps. Those are songs that I actually completed, but they never saw the light of day. Okay. They were played in my room right. or in my car, but believing that they just they were not successful mm -hmm. I let some of them slide so there are probably only a couple hundred that i consider enjoyable mm -hmm. uh, for me and for my audiences mm -hmm. to play and um after you start playing for a while you realize that some things flow very well from one to another right. and you end up stringing those together so i've got all of these tunes and don't always get to play them all but every now and then just like I, um, with a couple of weeks ago, I played a house concert in Chugwater, Wyoming, <laughs> and the lady had never had a house concert before. She wrote me beforehand, and she said, I've got your albums, and she said, would you play a couple of requests? And I said, of course. And she sent a list of 20 songs. <laughs> <laughs> many, <clears throat> many of which I had not played in years. Ah. Uh. And I tried my best to honor as many of them as I could, and I enjoyed that mm -hmm. <clears throat> because I got to pull stuff out that may not have had a place in that concert before. Yeah. But now her wish and her friends wanting to see those wishes honored mm -hmm. um, made me have to go back and scrape up the memory of uh, several songs that yeah. I've enjoyed playing in the past. So I like to do that now and then. Uh, you were telling us at, uh, at Waddle Hollow this weekend about uh, your runway song, and I Play thought that was an, an interesting, be interesting for the audience to hear. Can you share that story with our audience? Uh, sure, sure. So this wonderful um, playing on the runway was was my favorite song <clears throat> from that album, and it's on across <clears throat> the winter line. Um, it's on Across the Winter Line, right. and it was my favorite one from that group. And for the first 10 years that album existed, uh, 
not only was that song never requested, it was never mentioned. <laughs> and my assumption was that as far as the, the listening audience was concerned, the song was a dud. Ah. For me, it was not. Mm-hmm. Um, it was what I generally call a right brain song, where I just wrote images as they fell out of my head, as things are wont to do. Mm-hmm. And um, as a right brainer, I figure it's my job to pick them up and make art out of them. Mm-hmm. And so I just assembled all these images together and made a song that mattered to me, but for the life of me, I couldn't tell you why. <laughs> and so I assumed I would occasionally pull it out and play it, mm-hmm. and people would enjoy it. And occasionally people would, I would tell them that I don't know what this is about, and you get to form your own explanation, and they would. And they would offer what they said, this is song is about that. And I said, well, you know, you're probably right. <laughs> Whatever they said, they were probably right. And so I finally heard from um, a, a lady in Switzerland who wanted me to play, and she requested the song. She said, when you come over here to play, would you please play that song? And I was overjoyed to find somebody that actually liked my favorite song on that album. <laughs> yes. And, um, and then shortly thereafter, my good friend, the actor Ronnie Cox, mm-hmm. who was, by the way, the guitar player in Deliverance, oh. um, mm-hmm. he recorded that song because it was his wife's favorite of my songs. Mm-hmm. And that was exciting for me. And then a gentleman from um, a duo in Southern California, Lowen and Navarro, Eric Lowen, a man who was at that time dying of ALS, but still performing, trying to perform up to his last days. And he had enough energy left in him for the two of them to do one more album. He called me to ask if he could record that song. And I told him, I said, I am honored and I'm thrilled but could you tell me why you want to record that song? And he said, well, at this stage of my life, which is almost over, uh, the song speaks to me very clearly. Hmm. That's all he said. And I, ever since then, I can't play the song without thinking about Eric Lowen at the end of his life. Yeah. And then I thought that was the end of it. And then less than a week ago, I got an email from Pete Seeger's sister, Peggy. Mm-hmm. Um, who I had met before, and we had become mutual fans. And she said, um, please send me the lyrics to Playing on the Runway. <laughs> and she said, that's a wonderful climate change song. <laughs> climate change. I said, mm-hmm, okay. Uh, I didn't write it as a climate change song. And she said, well, I want to use it for a BBC program about climate change. And she said, it definitely is a climate change song, and you go write some more of those. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, this song, without me doing anything except just writing it, has had its own history. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you leave some things alone, and they will do what they have to do. Yeah, beautiful. And and the timing, it's kind of like uh, turn, turn, turn. You know, there's a time for this, a time for that. And that's right. A time for this song and, and that song. Lights along the runway They say the pilot cannot see 
winds of rust and age Too weak to rage Or carry me The distant city is silent now We cannot fly away We don't know how So we're playing On the runway There will be no way To leave the ground Stars No one remembers Great dying in out your light Hearts like scarlet sashes rise from the ashes shine on tonight The broken forest the holy land fall to rubble and turn to sand While we're playing on the runway, there will be no way to leave the ground. Stand and be my friend. If this must end, why should we care? Dance like no tomorrow, there is no sorrow we cannot share. One blue tomorrow we'll never see this very People find your songs, Jack. <clears throat> they can find my songs and and me and my tour schedule 
and information on the Waddle Hollow Creativity Retreat, which is every May and October, at um, my website. And that's um, jackwilliamsmusic.com. Jack? Don't forget the music or you'll get air conditioning. Okay. Jackwilliamsmusic.com. <laughs> jackwilliamsmusic.com. And we can actually and listen to some of your songs just there on the on the web to get a feel for your music. So I hope I hope people, if they haven't, they will uh, contact you or they'll find your music and uh, let you know their favorites and uh, I hope so. Bring you back for another house concert and and library and I'd like to make a request of those of anybody that does like the music and wants to get it, mm-hmm. and that is to not go to the big corporate music entities to order it you know don't go to amazon spotify all of, don't go anywhere but please order it from me because those people don't really pay me okay you will you will buy a cd and i might or might not see a penny mm. from that sale mm-hmm. and uh i'm i'm a working stiff out here mm-hmm. and i would rather uh you order it directly from jackwilliamsmusic.com Mm-hmm. And Judy handles all of that, and she'll get that right out to you. For yeah. on the road, it might be a day or two, but we're just about as quick as Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Send that uh, that drone over. All right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we love you, Jack Williams. And, well, we love you guys, too. Yeah. And we love seeing you come to Waddle Hollow and hearing your music and, and watching where you're going and what you're doing <laughs> with what you got. Well, we will see you again, and uh, thank you so much for being with us, and Marcia, thanks for being with me here. This interview with Jack Williams was recorded October 23rd, 2019, in the old KOPN studios in Columbia, Missouri. Audience folks, remember, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. Uh, Please leave your world cleaner more peaceful and more loving than you found it, because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon.